Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Uh, again, happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. Uh, this morning I had a little mishap. I have three different highlighters for my sermon notes, and I carry them around in my pocket all the time, and today I left an open one and put it right in my pocket, so I ruined a pants and a shirt, and then I left my NLT translation at home, and so I felt like it was very appropriate that on Mother's Day, Erica had to bring me up a change of clothes and something I forgot at home. So happy Mother's Day to all y'all mothers. Uh, Before we get going, I do have an announcement to make that uh, earlier, I guess a few weeks ago, the leadership at the church voted to decide to renovate this space. And so this space will be getting a full renovation over the summer, um, sort of mostly cosmetic, yeah. So it's been a little over a year. Since last, last February is where me and Ryan started working on this. So it's really great to kind of see it come into fruition now. So over the summer, uh, we'll be, it won't be very pretty because we'll be tearing stuff down, renovating stuff. So it'll be new floors, new walls. Uh, we'll be replacing the carpet on the walls. The woodwork is going to be a different color. The paint above is going to be a different color. The curtain is going to be different. That entryway is going to have new flooring. And this uh, entryway is going to have new paint. We're going to have new lighting. Am I missing anything, Ryan? That's it. It'll be great. So it'll be a messy summer, but it'll be a very blessed summer. So uh, on May, either 29th or June 5th, we're not sure which Sunday, uh, we're going to be out of this space. So we'll let y'all know and we'll communicate that with y'all when we won't be having service in this space. And we'll communicate that. Um, So just be kind of paying attention for that in the weeks ahead. And then also we'll be looking for ways to bless this space. So there'll be carpet off the walls for about a month, and I think we'll be encouraging y'all to write prayers and scripture on the wall uh, after communion. It'll be great. It'll be very fun. So really excited about that and excited for y'all's faithful giving, which allows us to be able to do projects like this. So we are in the middle of our Thrive series, Living as if Jesus is Alive. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 16 today if you want to open up your Bibles. What does it mean to be an Easter people? What does it mean to be a resurrection people? What does it mean to be a people who are thriving and fully alive because Jesus is alive? And today we're looking at that being an Easter people, being a thriving people, means that we are people who trust and depend on God. We are people who trust and depend on God. And it was interesting, as I was writing the sermon for this week, uh, there are times when I'm writing it and then the Lord's like, this is for you as much as it is for them. It's like, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. Uh, Because I'm a person who doesn't like to trust God. Uh, I'm a person who likes to be in control. And I think as I've been reflecting on that struggle that the Lord and I have been having for a few years now, I think it's because deep down, I have this idea that if I'm in control, that I can do a better job than what God does. Or that if I'm not in control, that if I'm not looking out for me, 
then God won't look out for me. That I'm really the only one looking out for me and no one else is. And I can't trust God. I can't give things to God because then he'll just kind of forget about me and put me to the side. And if I'm not looking out for number one, who else will? And I remember there was a few years ago, I was getting kind of spiritual direction, spiritual counseling, whatever you want to call it. And we were praying and the Lord said to me in that session, Jeremy, how can I prove that I'm trustworthy if you never give me anything to trust? If you never give me anything so I can prove that I'm trustworthy. And then the Lord then immediately after that gave me this image of the Disney movie Aladdin, um, the very spiritual Disney movie Aladdin. And if you remember from the animated movie Aladdin, there was this moment when uh, Aladdin is like, pretending to be this very wealthy prince, and he goes to Princess Jasmine's balcony, and he's trying to impress her with all of his bravado, and she's unimpressed. And then he leaves, and he hops onto his magic carpet, and that's when she's like, oh, magic carpet, that's interesting. And so she goes over to Aladdin, and there's this moment where Aladdin invites Jasmine to take a ride on the magic carpet. And he says this, don't you want to go for a ride? We could get out of the palace and go and see the world. And then Jasmine's response to Aladdin is, is it safe? And Aladdin says, yes, do you trust me? And then it's just a picture of Aladdin just holding out his hand, waiting for Princess Jasmine to get onto the magic carpet with him. Because there's always that moment that we have where we can say with our lips, yes, we trust you, God, yes, we trust you. But then there's that moment just similar to uh, Jasmine in a land where we actually have to extend our hands to God, give things to trust him with. And that's when I think the real faith happens, when we are willing to step out onto that magic carpet with God. And that was the image that the Lord gave me. And I think it's something that we all struggle with, right? I can't be the only one who likes to be in control. We love to be a people who are in control. We love to be a people who uh, don't trust God. And it's not just an American problem, it's not just a me problem, it's a human problem. Because this problem goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis where the serpent says, did God really say that? Can you really trust the word of God? Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? And it's that theme interwoven throughout all of Scripture of God proving himself trustworthy to his people again and again and again, and his people failing to put their trust in him again and again and again. There's this early church father called Hilary of, I think it's Pointier, but I'm not French, so I don't know how it's pronounced. Uh, He's a church father from the fourth century, and he says that we as people have what he called a tendency to have a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. A blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. That when we don't trust God with things, when we take and grab a hold of things, it's this anxiety that I can't trust God with this, that God is not worthy to work on this. We are people who like to keep God at arm's length where we're in control and he is not and we'll allow him access to the areas of our life that we deem worthy for him to have access to. But if we're going to be an Easter people, a people of the resurrection, a people who worship a risen God, we need to be a people who deeply and profoundly trust 
God. To give over the areas of our life that we need to give over to him. And so what does scripture say about this profoundly human problem? Uh, We're going to look at Exodus 16. We're going to be reading a large chunk of this chapter. So if you want to open it up, it'll be on the screens with y'all. 16 verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. And then the whole community of Israel set out from Ilium and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Ilium and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Aaron and Moses. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I am going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need on that day, and I will test them in this way to see whether or not they will follow my instructions." On the sixth day, they will gather food, and then when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Going down to verse 10. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out to the wilderness, and they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. And then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, am your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other, and they had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. And so the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some a little, but when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered a little had just enough. Each family had just what it needed. And then the Lord told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them did not listen. And kept some of it until morning, but by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes that they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. And then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath set apart for the Lord. So bake and boil today as much as you need and set aside what is left for tomorrow. And so they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots and without odor. And the Lord said, eat this food today, for today is the Sabbath dedicated for the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, and there will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyways, and on the seventh day they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. 
That is why he gives you two days supply on the sixth day, so there'll be enough for both days. On the Sabbath day, you must stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. It's really interesting. This passage starts off with a very audacious claim or very audacious uh, setting that one month after the Exodus, one month after the Lord had poured out mites and wonders over the Egyptians, it says that the people of God are no longer trusting him and they're groaning and complaining about what they're going to eat in the wilderness. That one month later, they had completely forgot about all that God had done for them. They had just forgotten about all the wonderful things he had done for them, and they're not putting their trust in him right off the get-go. And we don't do that, right? Thank goodness this is just an Israel problem and not an us problem. We're not a people who so quickly forget the blessings of God in our lives. We're not a people who so quickly forget the things that God has done for us. But we're exactly like them. And yet, even in this, the Lord in his grace says, I will provide for my people. It says in verse 4, I'll provide for them, but I'm going to test them. I will test them to see whether or not they will really follow my instructions. And here's the test from Yahweh. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for the test? Are you excited, bated breath? We already read it, so we already know what the test is. But here it is, summed up. The test is, the Lord will make it rain sky bread on the ground and you will pick it up and not save any of it. And then on the sixth day, you're going to trust that the sky bread from this day will last you two days. That's it. That's the test. It's pretty simple. As far as tests goes, I think it's a, one of the easier tests in scripture. It's basically saying, will you put your trust in me? Will you put your trust in me that when God says every day there will be new bread for you, every day there will be new food for you, will you trust that every day when you wake up that God will provide for you? Do you trust that on the sixth day that when I tell you that there will be double and that it won't spoil over for the next day, even though it has for every single day this rest of the week? Will you trust the words that I say that I will be faithful and that you can trust and believe what I'm telling you to do? That that's the test is are the people willing to trust God? And scripture clearly says uh, some fail the test. That some fail the test, that they kept some of it until morning. And then when the morning came, the maggots and the odor was rotting. So you just imagine waking up and you just smell rotting, wafting in from the tents. That they couldn't hide the fact that they had disobeyed God. Because the people, in their own wisdom, didn't trust God. They thought that they could do it their own way. They didn't need to do it God's way. They took extra because maybe God won't come through for us tomorrow. 
Maybe there won't be enough tomorrow and we have to make sure that we have food for tomorrow because I don't know if God will actually come through or not. And what happens is, is for 40 years in the desert, God's people are daily provided bread according to the scripture. That it's this daily exercise of trust for the Israelites that every day will they wake up and believe that God will provide for them today just like he did yesterday. That will we be a people who believe that God will provide for us tomorrow just like he did in years past? It's this daily exercise in trust. And then we see on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath, they'll get a double portion because Moses says there'll be no manna tomorrow. And yet some people fail that test. They go out looking for the manna on the Sabbath. And God's response is, how long will these people not trust me? How long will they disobey my commandments? Don't they know that the Sabbath that I have given them is actually a gift? Don't they know that this is a gift for them? And as we look at this idea of Sabbath, of resting, of stopping, that when we take time to stop and rest in God, that it's an tangible act of trust with God. That we are people who, uh, as that church father said, have a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. That we love to be a people who take on all these burdens on ourselves and we love to juggle all these balls and we're so worried that if I stop juggling, if I take one day for myself, if I take one day to rest and be with God, then all these uh, things I'm juggling are just going to fall to the ground and my life will fall to the ground with it. We're a people who never stop, people who don't rest according to the scriptures, that for us being a people who don't Sabbath, that we're not enjoying the gift that God has given us. That Sabbathing, stopping, resting is a way that we increase our trust and dependence upon God. Because when we stop and rest, what it's saying is, I trust that all that God has provided for me this week will carry me through a day of rest. It's stopping and saying, I can trust that God will be God in my life, that I don't have to hold up the world by myself, that if I take time to stop and be a human and recover and rest, that God will pick up the slack for me. Will Willimon, a Methodist bishop, says this, Sabbath keeping is a publicly enacted sign of our trust, that God keeps the world Therefore, we do not have to. That God welcomes our labors, but our contributions to the world have their limits. If even God trusted creation enough to be confident that the world would continue while God himself rested, so should we. I'm reading a book right now called Subversive Sabbath, and he talks about how this idea of taking a day to rest and be in God's presence and to trust that when we rest, it's a day that we are reminded that we are full of God's spirit, not full of ourselves. And taking time to imitate the way that God designed the created order, that when we take a day to rest on the seventh day as God did, that when we imitate God, there's this interesting thing that happens. When we imitate God, we learn that we are not God. That God is the one who upholds the world. God is the one who is taking care of us. God is the one who never sleeps. 
And when we imitate him, we learn and put our trust in him tangibly by doing something. And it seems ironically that the test of doing something is to do nothing. Are we going to be a people who rest from our labor and our activities? Are we going to be a people who say, I need to stop and spend day worshiping the Lord? Worshiping doesn't have to just be singing songs. Worshiping uh, for me is going down to Galveston and spending time with the Lord on the beach in Galveston. To be in God's presence, to dwell with him, to be a people who enjoy the creation that God gave us as we enjoy the creator himself. Are we going to stop and rest because we view it as part of our holiness? That God created the seventh day holy and that resting is holy because God has created it to be holy. You know, it's this very countercultural way of living, very different way of living. And society will tell us that everything that we do in our lives depends on our own effort, our own strength, and that resting almost can be a sense of like laziness. That's lazy to stop and do nothing. But according to scripture, we see that resting and being in God's presence is not lazy, but it's holy. That's becoming more and more like God. Will we be people who stop and trust that tomorrow there will always be sky bread from heaven. I'll give you all an illustration. Uh, you know, when we were in seminary, we had a, a lot of kind of medical expenses come up. Medical expenses that we did not have the money to cover. And sure enough, every time we had an unexpected medical expense or unexpected car expense or something come up, there would always be just an unexpected check in the mail that would be pretty much perfectly what we needed to cover that expense. And so when we got this job here, I was like, all right, that's going to stop. The Lord's not going to do that for us anymore. Sure enough, the Lord has not stopped doing that. Um, we'll just get random checks in the mail. We'll be like, oh, this is cool. This is like a $400 check for overpaying our mortgage. How awesome. Oh, then we have a $400 car repair. Oh, look at that. It was perfectly matching. And it's just really interesting how the Lord always provides for us even when we're not looking for it. How the Israelites didn't have to do anything to make manna rain down from heaven. The Lord was willing to do that anyway, so they just had to trust that the manna would always come the next day. Are we gonna be a people who trust and depend on God and trust that he will always have enough sky bread for us, that we can trust him and trust his ways. So as we lean into trusting God and depending on him, we learn that there is a God and I am not him. God is omniscient, God is wise, God is good, and I am not them. So how can we be a people who trust God unlike the Israelites? How can we be people who trust Jesus more and more as I invite the band back up? Here's some things to just kind of consider today. Are we gonna be people who believe that God's way is better than life in Egypt? That God's way is better than the world's way? Will we be a people who trust God with our finances to hold loosely to money 
which if anything is the, with the inflation going on right now, it's a tangible way to trust that, Lord, you will be a God who provides for me. Will we trust an uncertain future with the certainty of God who is in the future, knows everything, and has the future in his hands? Will we trust that God's way of living and God's way of forgiveness is a way of healing in our lives? Will we trust that God will always be faithful to his promises and we can be a people who wait on the promises of God? Will we trust God with difficult relationships in our lives and be willing to hand them over to him? Will we trust God and surrender our manipulation and control of others? Because the outcomes can never be controlled. But we can trust a God who is extending out his hands, inviting us onto a magic carpet ride with him. That he will be good, he will be faithful, and he will never fail us. Amen. As we remember the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we remember a God who provides for us, provides us grace and mercy. And on the night in which he was betrayed, he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, Father, and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, have this become manna from heaven for us. Lord, give us grace, give us mercy. Help us to increase our dependence on you. Lord, as we come forward today to receive and bread is placed in our hands, let that just be a tangible sign that you will always give us things. You will always place exactly what we need in our hands as long as we're extending our hands out to you. So Lord, we pray the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.